What's up, everyone, and welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now, where we cover how the environment, our society, and corporate governance affects and are affected by our economy. I'm your host, Mike DiCibato, and this week we have one story for you. We're going to revisit all those promises made by companies to do better at addressing systemic racial injustice in their workplaces. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Stay tuned. Last week, as we were scrambling over what to think about the ExxonMobil, Shell, oil industry news, crowds had gathered in the U.S. and elsewhere to remember and reflect on the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis, Minnesota police that spurred global protests. Then this week in the U.S., President Joe Biden became the first U.S. president to visit Tulsa, Oklahoma, to remember one of the most horrific incidents of racial violence in American history that took place from May 31st to June 1st, 1921. The Tulsa massacre, as it's called, has largely been unremembered until recently compared to the devastation it wrought. And it's all part of a renewed hope that the U.S., and everywhere else, will better reckon with its racial past and often dark history. Last year, as protests raged in the U.S., many companies promised to do more to fight the systemic inequality that still pervades our society. One of the ways companies promised to do that was to re-examine their own hiring practices and company culture and to maybe release some data on workplace diversity. Recently, my colleague, Christina Miroman, who leads our Women on Boards and Broader Diversity Research, released a report marking the year anniversary of the George Floyd murder and the mass protests that happened afterward led by the Black Lives Matter movement. And when I talked with her about it, I wanted to see, first, with regards to diversity disclosure, inclusion at companies, had anything changed over the past year? Um, yes and no at the same time. I think that all the social injustice that we witnessed last year, including the murder of George, George Floyd, they reignited the discussion around social inequality and racial discrimination. And that's really important. As you pointed out, we saw so many companies publicly pledging to fight against systemic discrimination. We also seen pressure building up and we're seeing shareholder pr proposals uh, around topics of diversity are increasing, not only in numbers, but the scope of those proposals are changing. So there is change for sure. And there is also change in the number of data points that are actually available. So when we are collecting the data, we looked at four fi financial years and absolutely there has been an increase in the amount of data that is available to investors and other stakeholders. But that said, we really have to point out that we are far from where we should be and where we could be in terms of transparency and in terms of data availability. Also, my personal view is that I don't think that a lot has changed. I don't think there has been significant improvement in the representation of historically underrepresented groups. 
Aside from representation, here's where we are now about data disclosures on racial diversity. As of this year, 26% of the thousands of U.S. companies that we cover have disclosed some sort of data on the racial or ethnic makeup of their workplace. That has not changed much compared to last year, and it's still far below what is reported on for workplace breakdown of gender, which is at about 76%. I asked Christina why she thought companies were so slow in releasing workplace data on both race and ethnicity? Uh, The problem is linked to the fact that this report is not mandatory. That means that companies can decide, they have the discretion to decide if they want to disclose, what they wanted to disclose, and how they wanted to disclose it. So as in many cases, companies try to avoid to disclose information where they're not required to. Now, there has been a lot of pressure for companies to disclose the data, so it's getting harder and harder for companies to justify or to avoid disclosing diversity data. And in the case of the U.S., we have to remember that the companies already have this data because every time that we talked about um, collecting data and disclosing different type of data, one of the arguments I is usually used to push back is the the cost and the time that it takes to collect all this data. But when it comes to US companies and to diversity data, these companies are already required to collect this data and to disclose it to the US Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. So the companies already hold those data. It's about disclosure, right? My take is that until we have a more formalized and mandatory uh, framework for companies to disclose on, um, there will always be companies that will try to avoid it, to postpone it as much as they can. That putting pressure on companies' strategy has worked for gender workplace diversity disclosures in part. There's been that, and there's also been quotas set by investors and regulators for gender diversity at the board level, such as a new law in the U.S. state of California that mandates public companies operating in the state to have at least one woman in a corporate board seat by the end of 2021. So you have these pressures building up for gender diversity data disclosures, and companies react, and they disclose more on gender diversity. That doesn't mean they fix the issue of gender inequality. It just means at least we have some more data to measure the problem. Now, will there be a regulatory push to mandate diversity beyond gender on corporate boards or on management teams is not something I'm going to speculate on or ask Christina to speculate on. But what I did want to know from Christina was whether shareholder pressure is building for companies to do more to honor their pledges on helping to fix racial inequality in the workplace. And where do shareholder pressures usually come to head? That's right at the annual general meetings, the company election times, the thing we talked about last week with regard to ExxonMobil. I want to know from Christina, at these annual general meetings, as we call them in the biz, have there been more calls for disclosures or reports or plans to help address inequality in the workplace? Absolutely. Uh, these proxies in, in the U.S., we're not only seeing an increase in the number of proposal, shareholder proposals pushing for better disclosure and more transparency. But there's actually different proposals being put forward. So it is true that the majority of the proposals still refer to data because while 
we have more data now than we had before, it is still not enough. So most of the proposals are still trying to, to force companies to disclose their data, to make their EO1 report publicly available. So investors and odd stakeholders can also measure those data and measure the progress of the companies. But we've seen also some proposals that actually are focusing on policies and procedures uh, around diversity that can help companies to improve representation of underrepresented groups. And there is some proposals that are actually pushing the agenda even forward and challenging companies to assess their products and their services to test if those projects and services may inadvertently reinforce existing discriminatory practices. There have even been some planned proposals that take advantage of the more progressive push into how funding affects systemic racism. The Harvard Law Corporate Governance blog cites one particularly interesting proposal that asks an insurance company to help ensure its offerings reduce and do not increase the potential for racist police brutality. And there are companies that are voluntarily implementing changes in their diversity practices in an attempt to stave off shareholder proposals on the matter. For example, in 2020 and 2021, several of the nation's largest banks, including Citigroup, Bank of America, JP Morgan, U.S. Bank Corp., and Wells Fargo committed to adopting and disclosing diverse candidate hiring policies that mirror what's called the Rooney Rule. And actually, the Rooney Rule is this really interesting regulation put in place at the National Football League that requires NFL teams to interview ethnic minority candidates for head coaching and senior football operations jobs um, that was established in 2003. But we will have to wait and see what happens after all these annual general meetings come to a pass about whether companies are actually going to do what they say they want to do or if for the remainder of 2021, things are going to remain business as usual. The one problem that seems to be plaguing researchers like Christina right now, though, even with the data that is out there, is that it hasn't been provided in a uniform way. Uh, I think that every time you talk about diversity, there is a general acknowledgement that the data is expected to be complex. Like we can look at diversity through so many angles and you have intersectionality too. So there is a, naturally, there is an inherent complexity to the data. But I think some of the complexity that we came across, it's linked to the lack of standardization because companies can break down their data and disclose their data as they saw fit, then we create so many different categories and that are just not comparable, right? So we, we are in that situation that sometimes we have so much data, but we are still unable to assess companies' performance in relation to other companies. In a way, we are lucky in how we get to have this conversation. It's sterile. It's about data. It's about benchmarking and measurement. But in the real world, and I mean the world, not just the U.S., which often, as an American, I can conflate, the problems of inequality are only growing. For example, Oxfam International released findings of a study on the wealth gap caused by COVID-2019 at the World Economic Forum. And they said that they surveyed 295 economists 
from 79 countries. And it found that 87% of respondents expected that income inequality in their country was either going to increase or strongly increase as a result of the pandemic. More than 50% of all respondents said gender inequality would likely or very likely increase, and more than two-thirds thought the same about racial inequality. So these problems are only going to get more complicated as we work to emerge from this viral miasma. I asked Christina what she thought the future would bring. I think there is so much to diversity. I think that we really just scratching the surface. Even though there is so much research out there as it is, I think there is so much more that can be done and so many, many more potential benefits linked to diversity that haven't been explored yet. And one of them is obviously uh, attracting highly qualified employees that, are, that want to work for companies that are considered more aligned with their personal views of the world. I, I think that diversity, and, and that's my personal view, uh, but I think that diversity is likely to follow a, simil a similar uh, evolution pathway than ESG. So initially, ESG was kind of on the side, was usually to screen out some companies. And now we are seeing the evolution of the user case and we are seeing uh, clients incorporating ESG on the decision making, on the business strategy, right? So looking at business strategy from an ESG lens. And I think there is a space for diversity in that. So as, as uh, business and organizations are becoming more familiar with diversity and all its uh, dimensions and all its potential benefits, they could incorporate diversity as a part of the decision-making, as a different lens where they can assess business strategy to, to try to test potential uh, risks, but also potential opportunities. And that's it for the week. I want to thank Christina so much for discussing this week's news with an ESG twist. And I want to thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Don't forget to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe also wherever you get your podcasts. That helps. All this stuff helps. Have a great rest of the week. And I'll talk to you soon. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to and or received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotion or recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or produ product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.